Are we rolling, Millhouse? Yeah, you're rolling. Oh, I accidentally leaked my microphone. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. It'll give you more views. <laughs> That's what I'm going for. This one's for the views. <laughs> so today we have Kiera Bronson and Aubrey Riley from Violet Moons. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having us. This is awesome. So how did you guys meet? How did we initially meet? Well, yeah, what was the first time you met? Um, Everybody in East Nashville's dying to <laughs> <laughs> Tell them the tea. Let's see. Um, well, I date Josh, who Kira grew up with. From um, Kokomo. Yeah. yeah. Josh and I are from, from Kokomo. He's technically in the country. And kind of near Rushville. Yeah, but I'm from like the city. You're from Kokomo proper. I am from Kokomo proper. Yeah, so we met through a boy, um, and we would we would hang out every now and then, and you know, like do TikToks and shit, and then <laughs> Kira moved in, and and we started our band on accident. Yeah, it, nothing nothing was planned at all. It just kind of happens when like. You load a big ass piano into already a musician's house, and we're like, we should probably use it then, and yeah. So you didn't have exactly a linear path in Nashville, Kiera, because you didn't come here with any grand plans of doing music. No, never. That was something that just developed because I remember I started seeing you post videos of you playing, mm-hmm. and I thought you were really fucking good and you're like i'm not a musician i'm not a singer yada yada you were saying all that shit to me i was like you're good (laughs) that was yeah that was pre-violet moons it was just like oh i'm trapped in the house from covid like maybe i should start playing my piano maybe i should just like fuck around kind of thing and so i would just like start kind of doing like covers when no one was home i didn't want anybody to hear me and i lived in a house with like four other musicians yeah. So I would do it when absolutely no one was home. Was it always a, like a secret dream or a secret ambition that you had? Um, not really. Uh, I had always just loved music and like always loved to sing and like would jokingly sing around my friends and stuff like my close friends. And I had taken piano since I was five. So like even my closest friends remember when I would like go to piano practice and would have to like leave hanging out. So I like piano was... A thing throughout my life but no I never thought like a band or or anything even moving to Nashville was not in my dreams because <laughs> you come from a small town right like yeah Kokomo's a, a fairly I mean it's a city but it's a, a small town yeah like smallish yeah for sure yeah yeah and I the, the example I always give is like I come from a, a pretty small town myself And there wasn't like a lot of ambition there Mm -hmm. or like dreams there of getting out and trying to do something. Yeah. Well, I knew that I always wanted to get out and like I was really excited. Like there were a few different places that I had thought about moving even before like Nashville. But the cards just kind of led me to Nashville and different, you know, different things happening in my life. But like music was not something I foresaw and. my degree was in totally something different like I was doing more like makeup stuff when I first moved here like it was not music centered at all well just knowing you from the time that you first got to Nashville because I met you pretty soon after you got here to Mm -hmm. now you've really come out of your shell a lot and I've seen you grow as a person Mm -hmm. and (laughs) you're way more confident now not that you weren't confident before but there's like a remarkable change in you Well, that's good. Yeah. I feel like I've 
been around people who have like brought that out in me like Aubrey's a great example like she was an artist on her own playing even solo shows like that is something that I still now cannot even imagine like having the vulnerability or like the confidence to fully do but it's like being around those people who are out doing things and like supporting you which I feel like Nashville is super supportive is just like a great way for me to feel more confident too well especially in our crew too that we run with Um, yeah there's a lot of people that are are super supportive of the music thing and it definitely it helps that you're good it always (laughs) helps when you're good um but yeah I found for me that that's the thing when things get tough that keeps me going and the times that I'm willing to like shoot out of my comfort zone a little bit you know I'll call Josh and talk to him about something and see what he thinks and he's always just really encouraging about whatever it is that yeah. I'm doing. So those, those friends are necessary. You need those types of yeah. people for sure. We're yeah. all down in the trenches together. Yeah. And, and we just like got a, out of COVID hell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, COVID, I think overall, and this this might sound bad to say, but overall for me, it was a really good experience. You know, I know a lot of bad shit happened for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And there was bad shit that happened to me during COVID just and I think it happened to everybody. It was just a universal shit storm on everything. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, kind of forced you to make something good out of it. Like it left you with no choice but to, you know, be trapped in your house and stare at your guitar and just be like, oh, I got well, I got to do it. Yeah. I got to do mm-hmm. something. Yeah. So I started writing again during COVID, and I think that was the biggest change for me because I'd only written a couple of songs since I moved to Nashville and I'd been here at that point for five years and I was really focused on just being a sideman and a bass player Mm -hmm. and people kept calling me to play bass for him so I I just wanted to keep doing it and um, yeah things seemed to work out in a serendipitous way because as soon as I started writing again uh, I piled up a bunch of songs and then I got that opportunity to record at Blackbird which you guys sang on two of the songs yeah. And you fucking killed it. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, that was a blast. It was fun. You know, I think in those moments, it's just fun to, to spread it around to, to everybody. And you were nice enough to come and do it and all that good stuff. But, you know, Millhouse took part in those sessions and he fucking killed it. Yeah, dude, that was fun. That was, that was fun. the most impressed I ever was with you, Millhouse. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, Millhouse. Thank you. Thank you. Millhouse crushes It's it. an intimidating <laughs> environment to be in. To be yeah. in that recording studio, just knowing the people who have recorded there, mm-hmm. who have walked through those halls, or who are even around when we're in that building. It's difficult to, to contemplate. It was extremely interesting being there. Like, um, I, I was a little bit intimidated, but like once we started getting into the session, I kind of was at ease a little bit more. But it was super cool to play all the instruments there. I mean, they had literally everything. I mean, it was just super cool. I could tell you were nervous, yeah. but I could also tell that the nervous energy was different than the other times that you've been nervous. Yeah. You weren't like, I'm nervous and I'm going to fuck this up. You were, I'm nervous and I'm excited for whatever happens. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I was just, I was excited to just give it, you know, give it my all, you know? I, I remember like, it, it wasn't long before that session that you had like sent me the songs. So I was kind of in a scramble. It happened all pretty quick. I was in a scramble yeah. to learn the, learn the, you know, learn them. But um, it worked out. <laughs> yeah, those are really good songs. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I'm really excited good. to share them. Makes know. it easier when the songs that you're singing on are. 
I like really I like the vibe good. of both of them. Well, They're perfect for our style of music. I feel like too. Th- that was a, that was a big part of the reason why I asked you guys to do it. Plus, the other thing was I knew I would have some kind of emotional security blanket with you guys there. <laughs> yeah. And me cutting vocals too. You know what I mean? Because I was yeah. way out of my comfort zone. Uh, because I never. The only time I'd really sang are on demos in my bedroom. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty much it. I hadn't sang ever in a studio. And I don't even know. I haven't even... I've listened to the the ones that... are the one I sent you guys. Mm-hmm. But I hadn't listened to the, the other track yet. So it's going to be... I'm listening to it with fresh ears when I hear it for the first time. Hell yeah. Oh, wow. That's always fun. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think there's something to be said for that spontaneity, though. Because everybody just came in, like, pinch hit last minute. It's like... Mm-hmm bottom of the ninth two outs we just we have this amount of time to execute and everybody yeah. that came in killed it mike Raseal played drums and then james varner so james that i play with with teo and josh mm-hmm. he overdubbed all the percussion parts and he is a genius when it comes to drum sounds in general like he has like nine thousand different kits and every single kit is a certain kind of flavor for based on how he's going to play yeah. And then for the percussion stuff, he just knows everything there is to know about like percussion and just because he works at Forks Drum Closet, mm. um, which I don't know if you guys have been there before. That pl- that place is amazing. Yeah. I love Where Forks. is that place? It's over by uh, it's Wedgwood over, Houston. Yeah. It's, okay. it's over by the fairgrounds right in on. that area, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's near the fairgrounds, dude. It's super cool. It's like two stories. And you can go up and they have like the drum sets on the top floor and then all the percussive stuff and like all the other little stuff. On the oh, that's floor. cool. It's, super it's like a drum haven. Yeah, that's exactly. awesome. Yeah, James is great. Yeah, James, so if you're listening. He's super knowledgeable for that very reason. You know, I mean, he's just obsessed with drums and the art of equipment. Yeah. Which is, it's, it's not always like that for, for drummers. I mean, I know drummers who have a beat up kit and broken sticks and all that (laughs) they can still play yeah but just that level of professionalism too it's it's interesting to see the different shades of player in nashville Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because everybody has a different vibe it's huge i mean just even people coming from like different like all parts of the world makes it so different like how we grew up and what we like what kind of equipment we all have or are trying to get like it's just crazy how different it is for everyone Mm-hmm. Stage stage setups for everyone, like two piece bands we've seen, six piece bands we've seen, just wild. Yeah, yeah, and Nashville's not just like, of course, there's country music, but I had no idea how many, you know, you know, there's a punk scene here in Nashville. There's a great, there's a little bluegrass community. You mm-hmm. know, it's not just everything that you know Nashville is made out to be but I was even unaware of that until I moved here and I was like oh damn Nashville is like diverse yeah yeah I feel it's, like I find a new really band cool. on Instagram all the time yeah I'm like this is a Nashville band yeah and they're all super cool mm-hmm. yeah yeah there's there's definitely a strong community of <laughs> just straight up musicians here mm-hmm. and it's like the the, the way I, I think of it there was this guy that I used to know. Um, his name was Richard. And he worked as a groundskeeper at one of the apartment communities I worked at. And he used to be the drummer for Willie Nelson. Oh, what? shit. No. And he told me 
that Nashville is like a beehive and all the different scenes are like honeycombs. So East Nashville's its own honeycomb and then you have like the singer-songwriter scene of like the listening room and the writer's rounds Mm -hmm. and all of that. Then you have Broadway, which Broadway's really, in a lot of ways to me, like the, the beehive of the scene or the, uh, the main, where the queen is. Um, and I think that's just because of the, the working mindset that those musicians have. It's unparalleled mm-hmm. to any, any other musicians that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's, there's so many different varieties of music. And you look around and you see someone like Jack White is here. The Black Keys are here. Those are the yeah. biggest names in rock music. Yeah. Right. And they've been around for a while. But that doesn't take away from the fact that they both like headline festivals and have labels here and recording mm-hmm. studios mm-hmm. here. That's yeah. the number one thing I tell people when they ask me about Nashville. So is it just country music here? I say no. no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's everything. Mm-hmm. I think the rock scene is bigger here than the country scene almost or equal to if you if you think about it. Because I see way more, you know, like local rock bands playing shows at like bars and stuff than I do country bands. I would say that's part of it. Unless um, you're talking about Broadway. Then it's all country. But outside of Broadway, really... There's a, there's a huge rock scene here. Yeah. Like a pretty big one. And I think it, it's mm-hmm. flying under the radar right now, too. You mm-hmm. know, and I don't know if rock music is ever going to be as big as it was, but I don't even necessarily care about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. I like it. That's right. enough enough for me because yeah. it's like you look at jazz music and it, it was the dominant piece of music until mm-hmm. rock and roll came yeah. along. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In America, at least, and, yeah. and worldwide, even. Mm-hmm. Um, that Frank Sinatra quote about how rock and rock and roll music is not real music. Um, I took a history of rock class when I was in school and not to go off on that tangent, but I remember Frank Sinatra would talk so much shit and say, this is not music. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny. A lot of the musicians that he ended up playing with in the sixties were, do you guys know about the wrecking crew? Have you heard about them before? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm-mm. you've heard about yeah, them. There's Millhouse? a good documentary about them. Yeah, the Wrecking a, Crew. Yeah, so the Wrecking Crew was uh, a group of session musicians in Los Angeles. I think through the '50s and the '60s and part of the '70s, but they played on countless number one hits. Um, so they played with the Beach Boys. They played with Frank Sinatra. They they were all like the side guys. They would just sh- show up to the studio, and they were purely studio musicians. Wow! Back when that was a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a great documentary, and their bass player uh, Carol Kay. That's how I've heard of them. You've told me about. Yes. Her. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we have had a conversation. Yeah. About her, but yeah, she uh, she's a phenomenal musician and a phenomenal bass player, and I, I feel like. People, people do give her the credit she deserves, but I would put her right up there, like for me, as far as bass players are concerned, with like James Jamerson and Donald Duck Dunn and all those dudes. Because she played with like Cher, she put everybody, anybody who had a hit in the 60s. She's been on it. That was in Los Angeles. Yeah, she yeah. was on it. I know of her. You've heard of her before? Yeah, Beast. Yeah. Hell yeah, Queen. Yeah, it's, it's funny to hear her talk to you about... Um, like being the most of the time, the only woman in a professional setting like that, mm-hmm. which I'm sure is something you two can relate to. 
for that era though that's just crazy it's other level yeah. in that era because yeah. it's like madman style you know what right. i mean yeah like, yeah all eyes on her everybody's just like probably waiting to judge or waiting for her to mess up or oh god yeah makes me sick <laughs> she was so fucking good it that's didn't matter tough. yeah she shut the haters down <laughs> so speaking of women in music what would you say what is it like to be a woman musician in nashville like playing rock music everybody wants to tell you what to do you guys need a drummer you guys need a bassist really let me be your drummer everybody wants to help us which is nice but sometimes we just don't we just don't need it you know it's like if somebody approaches it and it's like we should jam sometime i'd love to make music with you that's different but it's like we don't need your help necessarily if that makes sense if you send a message like hey beautiful you need a drummer (laughs) no I don't <laughs> leave. <laughs> so it's more so not being taken seriously. You just kind of question the intention sometimes of people that are like wanting to work with you. It's both. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit of both. Um, I don't know. It's like we also people would ask, you know, when we released Hexa Man, if kira wrote that solo or if kira played that solo it's like we you know we actually know how to play our instruments yeah Yeah. so it's just things like that that you know um and it's more but there's people who say things like that and they don't mean anything by it but it's kind of like okay you know there's some we know what we're doing (laughs) there's some questions yeah too where it's like well i'm not a man so i don't know if a male gets asked these same questions but as a woman you're automatically kind of on the defense of certain like things that right. people don't assume you it's can like, do. If we were guys, I feel like probably they wouldn't have asked if she actually played that solo. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's kind of like, yeah, duh. Because <laughs> you guys fucking We wrote fresh. the song. Yeah. <laughs> we wrote that. I mean, not that we've written, you know, we have people that we collaborate with and not saying that we're like these perfectly self-sufficient no, women I, but I, I get right what you're saying. yeah it's like it's almost like it just kind of feels like they're questioning but that's fine fuels yeah. the fire yeah we'll write more songs about it yeah yeah hexman part two <laughs> how did you guys write that one was that the first one you did together yeah. yeah it was the first one that we we wrote together we we both when we started we've had our solo we've written solo stuff and um, but that one was the first one that we like wrote together together. Um, and it was kind of, it took like weeks to write. We would just like kind of, cause it's awesome working with Kira because we kind of have a very, when we write a song, it's very 50, 50 for the most part. Mm-hmm. And every now and then, you know, one of us will write more of this one or a whole one and we'll sing it together. But a lot of the times we write songs and we'll each write our own verse or mm-hmm. we we each have like parts that we're contributing to um but i remember with hexaman we would both go off and like write a couple phrases yeah Kara would write a couple phrases i would write a couple and phrases. Then we put it together we come back and be like what do you have i got this and you know and then she would have her verse and i'd have my verse and and i think too what's cool about aubrey and i is that 
we think a lot alike like on personal matters so even sometimes if she's writing something or I'm writing something we both still relate to the lyrics or still feel passionate about wherever we're writing about because right. we have like a similar mindset I'll be like oh I know what that bitch is trying to say yeah <laughs> I'll be like I love this shit <laughs> well that's the beauty yeah. too of collaboration with someone um, I've always found it difficult to write songs with someone else because it's always been like very personal for me where it's like I need to, to have like a lot of alone time yeah. mm-hmm. kind of get like moody and angsty about life <laughs> you know yeah yeah totally I tried to do like the when I because when I moved here I was a solo artist and it was like it's the thing to co-write but it's like and I would go in and try to do it and um it's tough because it's like me and Kira are so close. Like we know each other's thoughts and ideas, ideas on the world, and you like know Lennon what I and mean? McCartney. What's up? Like Lennon and McCartney. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like it's. I feel like that's why it's so much easier to write with her. You know, we're 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 both girls and. And we, we both fuck up all the time and we're like, <laughs> oh, we're probably going to fuck up. We're probably going to mess this up. And we're both like, it's fine. It's fine. Well, yeah. It's funny you say that because I think that is the most important aspect. Like w- one of the most important traits you can have as a musician, especially in Nashville where everybody's fucking good. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the freedom to, to completely fuck up and uh, stumble a little bit because that's how you grow. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I yeah. mean, our like our first two shows that we ever played was like we we couldn't hear ourselves and Aubrey's been a solo artist so she's a little bit more familiar with like playing live like she doesn't get nervous or anything like that hardly at all whereas I'm like shaking like my hands are clammy and I'm like I can't wait for this to be over (laughs) but like I love music so I want to put it out there kind of thing but like our first couple shows we could not hear a damn thing oh yeah and yeah we fucked up we were like Oh, well. (laughs) So playing with Violent Moons, is that your first time that you've gotten on stage and performed? Or had you done that before? No, never before. I mean, I was in a play in like sixth grade, but that doesn't count. Oh, fifth grade, actually. What was the play? (laughs) Don't ask me that. (laughs) Um, It was Snow White. Were you Snow White? You were a dwarf. I was a dwarf. (laughs) <laughs> shocker you were, you hey, were, no no uh no small roles right you, you were dopey to be fair i was like the captain oh you were uh doc doc that's the same i was gonna say but Ralph. in our we had to do like a spinoff i guess maybe for like copyright reasons or maybe they just like chose different names but i was sarge like sergeant. Oh, so it was names. like the uh, the Walmart brand Snow White. <laughs> great value. Literally. Great value. Great value. Snow White. Snow great value. Snow White. And <laughs> I was the oldest one as a dwarf. So like all the other kids were like in elementary. You know, we were all in elementary, but I was the only fifth grader. And I was like, this fucking sucks. <laughs> and then I couldn't quit the play. And I was just like, whatever. Had to wear a beard and everything. <laughs> We've all done. So if you compare players. that to now Violet Moons, it's pretty different it's a scary experience getting on stage for the first time it's exciting you you feel a bunch of uh feelings about it i still even get nervous depending on 
whatever the, the gig is. Like when we go out to the blues jams, yeah, I always get nervous. Dude, I get <laughs> extremely nervous at the blues jams because I have all these good musicians looking at me. That have been doing it for like 30 or 40 years. years. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, like no. Larry, dude, when Larry used to watch me play. Yeah, dude. Larry Van Loon, R.I.P. R.I.P., yeah. But dude, I used to get nervous when he'd watch me play. Yeah. Because he was just a legend. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was a true pro. And yeah. it, it can be frustrating, especially when you feel like you eat shit. Like the, every single time I walk <laughs> away from doing a, any kind of live performance... I usually take some kind of audio, like I'll, I'll stick my phone in my base case. That way it just doesn't get overwhelmed. The microphone doesn't get overwhelmed. And I'll listen back to it and make notes of all the times mm. I fucked up. That could but be that helpful. That might, be, might be because I hate myself. <laughs> <laughs> Self-deprecating <laughs> <Yeah>. listen back. <laughs> I'm like, that, that was not good. Because uh, I played with TH3 uh, last week over mm. at uh, the Cobra. Which is, have you guys played there yet? At the Cobra, no. No, we haven't played Cobra. <laughs> the Cobra's awesome. The sound guy, Ethan, is great. He's killer. Hell yeah. Um, but we played there, and that was our first show back since the start of the pandemic. And uh, I just, I don't know. I uh, I felt overall pretty good. But there's, there's other technical things I feel like as I'm advancing as a musician that I'm realizing. Like, I hit really hard as a bass player, and my wrist was hurting for two days afterwards. I'm like, I need to modify this in some way of what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So I've been trying to pay more attention to that whenever I play. So I'm a very hard-hitting player. Yeah, some, sometimes I get that with keyboard, especially where I've been trying to learn like uh, some New Orleans-style music where I'm playing faster. My wrist has started hurting more. So mm -hmm. I've been having to take more breaks and try to build that muscle. But it's, it's new for me to feel pain there because I'm usually a fast player. Like, I'll play fast. You can play those fast country yeah, I, licks. Yeah, I can play those fast country licks, but where I'm playing these jazz chords fast, my wrists are like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> well, everything's inverted, too, yeah. and they're all weird as yeah, fuck. Yeah, it's weird because I'm doing different things. It's it's super weird, but it, it's fun to learn, but, like, I got to... It's new for me to have that pain there of, of like, my wrists actually mm -hmm. hurting, uh, which mm -hmm. is weird. Hey, you you play keys. Do you do, Does your wrist hurt? Um... Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I feel like my hands hurt when I play bass too because I don't hold the bass right. Mm. And I, like my arm gets so sore in like this position, you know, mm -hmm. like like a 90 degree angle. But um, yeah, I'm like, I think also there's something about growing up with a cell phone. I don't know if all, mm -hmm. any of you experience this, but I feel like it makes my hands hurt. Like, yeah, like having my hand. Doing those hand massages. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. So, like, that on top of, like, playing an, an instrument. We're all rubbing our hands yeah. right now. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I realize that. Yeah. I'm just thinking about, like, so I have an iPhone 12, and when I hold it in this hand, this finger can go numb. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Mine yeah. That too. Or, like, when I'm like that. Yeah, yes. My, yeah. The hand cramps are real. <laughs> I'm so addicted to my phone. It's an issue for me, too. Dude, I've... Uh, <laughs> I've been trying to do better about it, but like, I'll look at like the screen report it gives me. Mm -hmm. Oh, I hate that. It's like, I, I don't, I don't want to know. I never feel worse about myself than it's like, oh, you've been on your phone <laughs> seven hours a day. <laughs> and it's like, what the fuck am I doing with Wh my life? Why did <laughs> Apple give us that feature? It's like you picked up your phone, uh, your phone 150 times. I'm like, <laughs> it's because they want us to know yeah. where we're at. Why do I they love want us when to it... know? Don't, don't they just. We, I know. They should want us to keep doing it. Like, 
I love when it tells me my screen time has went down. I'm yeah, like, same. Oh yeah, I'm yeah like, I, I really got, got my shit together. I gotta keep this. Yeah, I gotta keep this up. I don't feel as bad about my screen time because I spend at least a, a couple hours a day in my car while um driving Uber. ride share that makes sense. Use so my phone has to stay open and up and i that's usually good, have podcast or music or something like that going that's a good excuse mm-hmm. it yeah. is a good excuse yeah that's way I better above all of you <laughs> i do listen to podcasts all day while i'm working too yeah so we we can just tell ourselves that, that that's it i've also yeah. been keeping my phone out of my bedroom at night when i go oh. to bed i put it i put it down here on the charger that's a great because i know thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna have the impulse to pick it up yep. and turn on a podcast. I'll be like, I'll just listen to this for 15 minutes, mm-hmm. but it'll just keep me up. I'll be looking at baseball cards on eBay. <laughs> so I've gotten in the habit of uh, of reading at night. Now I've been reading Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by Quentin Tarantino. Hell yeah. Oh hell yeah! There was a novelization released of it, and I've really been enjoying that. Sounds cool. like it's a great Tarantino. book. It is. Yeah, it's different. Uh, to see him in the light of like being an author, I can tell that this is not the first book he's written just from reading it. Mm-hmm. He's probably written a bunch of books and never has released them. Yeah. Well, he's just a writer in general too. So I'm mm-hmm. sure that translates just as well in like a book. Yeah. It's been cool, uh, especially to see all the details. Um, Cause it really, it, like things that were big things in the movie are just like tiny little paragraphs in the book. Mm-hmm. So it's been kind of cool to see that too. It's um, interesting that you saw the movie and then read the book because I have to read the book first before I see a movie. Really? Yeah. Well, Tarantino didn't release the book until after the so movie. So he waited came out. and then, okay. Yeah, it came out, I think the movie came out like two years ago now. And then he uh, released uh, the book of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, interesting. It's, it's been different. Are you still doing yoga? Yeah, I am. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. I did it today. I, I at least do at least like 30 minutes a day. Awesome. I have to do it. I have to do it. It's amazing. I'll turn off the AC in here <laughs> and like open my windows and just make it hot as fuck. Yeah, that's the best form of yoga too. There's just something about getting all these toxins out of yeah. your body. Like and you're able to bend your muscles bend so much deeper when you're they're looser like that, you know, from the heat. Oh yeah. It's I feel amazing. like you're super clear-headed afterwards too. Yeah. Like it's, it's like, it's a, like refreshing. It's like a euphoric yeah. feeling. I totally agree. What I've noticed is that my um I notice the difference between my mind, my body and my soul as three separate entities. Mm-hmm. And when I do yoga, all three of them feel like they're glowing and I can really feel them on an individual level. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, after I do that yoga and I really sweat and I get uncomfortable and miserable and all of that, I'll take a really cold shower right after I'm done. Mm-hmm. And that kind of adds to the high. Cause I'm just yeah. a junkie always looking. For <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> yeah. And it's been doing the, doing the trick for me. Uh, you know, I, I, yeah, I feel like I've replaced, replaced something that I was, I was mm-hmm. missing. I didn't even know my thoughts aren't as negative and I don't have yeah. as much anxiety whenever I do it yeah it's a great feeling it's like being vulnerable and being silent like makes you so much more comfortable in real life scenarios where you have to be vulnerable or mm-hmm. you know yeah and That's I'm feeling awesome. inspired now I want to do yoga and I want to get a library card <laughs> <laughs> I thought you had a library card <laughs> 
I had one in Indiana, but oh. I need one here. Have you ever been to the library downtown? Mm-mm. No. I've passed it, though. Yeah, you know the one I'm talking about? Do like you know the, which one you're talking about? The big yes. one. So, um, I used to go in there all the time. You okay over there, Millhouse? Yeah. I used <laughs> to go over there all the time. And there's a great view, sorry, of the, uh, of the state capitol from, like, one of the quiet room buildings. So, I would go in there and, like, plan out my day. Oh, hell yeah. Or journal But where bit. did you park? So. The, I would uh, go the there if there was somewhere. The parking park. garage, right? It's, it's I'm, I'm even hesitant to share this on the podcast, <laughs> but it is the best pa- place to park downtown for people. You parking. can't give away your no, parking. No, someone downtown told me that. Yeah. A secret <laughs> agent. It's downtown only $10. Told me that. So it's the best spot to park, and there's usually spots in there. You can find at least one. Nobody's going to ever guess the library either. No. Yeah. I've parked. I've parked there a few times. Uh, is the is the library next to Bicentennial done yet? You know the big one that they're building. Um, I don't think that one's done. I think that's going to be like a Tennessee State Library. Dude, but did you see about that? It's supposed to be like electronic. It's supposed to be like electronic book library. It's supposed to be really weird. Oh my is it God. all like Kindle books? I don't think so. I don't know what it is. It's supposed to be huge. It's supposed to. I don't know. It, I know something about Kindle books. books. Yeah. It's funny. Kindles like aren't even a thing anymore. Yeah. It's like yeah. iPads. What happened to the Kindles? <laughs> yeah. I Justice prefer, for the Kindles. I prefer analog books. Yeah. <laughs> Bring back the Kindle. My grandma had a Kindle. My, I think my mom still uses her Kindle. For like a, a month. I had a Kindle. My mom was trying to get me to read. <laughs> I, think my, I think my grandma only. I Wait. Think, <laughs> this is the deepest cut I've heard all day. I love it. Millhouse. <laughs> what? Name three books that you read growing up. Right now, that weren't assigned in school. Oh, dude. <laughs> oh, that weren't assigned in uh, school. That changes things. Shit. Okay. Well, yeah, uh, name tough. one book. Fuck. Nancy Drew. Um. <laughs> fucking Magic School Bus Man. You know. <laughs> magic School Bus Man. Yeah, ma- the Magic School Bus. <laughs> what is the plot of that book? It's uh, the fucking teacher takes all those kids. Miss Th- Frizzy. Yeah. Miss Frizzy. Frizzy. Magic school bus. Yeah, magic school bus. Oh, and no. then um, the bus. It flies crazy Let's ass see. hair. <laughs> to Kill a Mockingbird. Wow. Yeah, I read To Kill a. I read The American by Henry James when I was like sixteen. I don't know what that is. It was a good book. It's about some dude that travels. But yeah, no, that's like I've I've read more books as I've gotten older. But like when I got that Kindle. I just played Angry Birds on it. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> yeah, my grandma only played Euchre on hers. She didn't even read books. I like crossword puzzles and shit when I was like, or like whatever. Was it like touchscreen? Yeah, it was one of those. Okay, yeah. It was like an iPad, remember but it was a Kindle. The mm-hmm. Kindle, the really, really old Kindle that had the buttons. Yeah. My mom still has that. I got, I got but one But she still really? uses that. And it like, you like go to turn the page and like all the letters like slowly disappear. Yeah, it's it feels ancient. My mom has one. Or my, I got my mom one of those when they came out. Yeah. Like the Kindles. I remember the year of the Kindle. And then there it came out with the Kindle Fire. Yeah. Yeah. That's the touchscreen one. That's the one. I that's had. what my grandma mm-hmm. had. That's the one that has color too, right? Yeah, that's the one I had. I could just play Angry Birds. They're like, yeah. we're going to turn this shit up a notch. Yeah, the, yeah. the original Kindle was black and white and had buttons. Yeah, I remember that. Well, it's interesting to really see... So my good friend, Zach, he's a, a writer um, and he's written a book called Nye that he released a couple of years ago. But uh, just talking to him, it's 
kind of crazy like bookstores how they've been like closing down and mm-hmm. hearing his perspective on it because really uh, like in my hometown we had we used to have a borders and i remember it going out of business at a certain point because amazon just took over yeah mm-hmm. amazon completely has taken over thanks for reminding this us. is getting really personal jeffrey bezos <laughs> 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 Did you guys watch Bo Burnham's special? Yeah. I haven't yet. I haven't watched like the whole thing. It's long as fuck. It's too long. Yeah. I watched like a good amount of it and then I fell asleep because there was like a song every five seconds. Yeah. And then I just fell asleep to one of his songs. I heard it starts out slow. Yeah. I mean, the way I would say like you can tell he was his mental state was deteriorating while he was making it because he made it all through quarantine. Mm-hmm. So it's a different kind of perspective. I watched it with Millhouse. Dude, I, I've watched it a lot. I love that movie. I think it's great. I thought it was a, I thought it was, well, I know it, it is very long, but I thought it was very artistic. Like all the shots and all the different cuts he did. I thought that was crazy. He did it all himself. So like, for me, that's huge because it's like mixing a song is a lot for me, you know, getting mm-hmm. a song fully mixed and stuff. But being able to shoot cut and like do all of that is just incredible not to mention write it the lighting Mm -hmm. the writing all of it i love the quick cuts what a talent that he would make like he would say something like really fucked up and then it would just cut to the next scene that was one of the things i liked about is how dark it was yeah and he was uh he was talking shit about the world but he was also talking shit about himself oh yeah Mm -hmm. and I, i always appreciate that like Another thing that a friend had told me, we were, we were talking about the Arctic Monkeys album, Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino, and Alex Turner, like a lot of his lyrics on that album, he's talking shit, but he's also talking shit about himself. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you're going to talk shit, you also have to say some shit about yourself. Right. Too. Yeah. You self-deprecate a little bit. Yeah. He's got to be real, you know? Yeah. 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 That's the realest that I get. I think it's, uh, it's one of the most important things that's come out this year, personally, just because of how well put together it is for him doing it alone. I think that's crazy. Hell yeah. And um, I don't know. I, I, I don't think that he'll do anything else in the future, though. I think that's it, you know? I think he'll do more stuff. I, I remember know. him from Vine. Yeah, same. <laughs> that's where I found him. And, like, the early days of YouTube, he was pretty big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he got big when I was in high school, which was when YouTube came out. I think my freshman year, it was, like, 2006 when YouTube started taking over. Fuck, that was... I miss <laughs> the old YouTube days. Oh, yeah. I'll just say that. It Remember was way Jenny better. Marbles? Oh, yeah. Chris Crocker. <laughs> so many funny things on there. Is that the Free Britney guy? Yeah. Or the Leave Britney Alone guy? Yeah. He was ahead of his time. Seriously. <laughs> Everyone just needs to leave Britney alone. <laughs> have you guys watched a documentary that got released about Britney Spears? I haven't. I haven't yet either. It's on my list. I have so many things to watch. But yeah, it's on Hulu, right? Uh, I don't. I don't know what it's streaming on. Millhouse, can you uh, can you Google that for us? I think it's Hulu. Yeah, I mean the Britney Spears thing is kind of interesting because the uh, the cultural kind of standpoint on her has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. This pa- these past couple of years because mm-hmm. I remember growing up people always made fun of her for like shaving her head and yeah mm-hmm. all that you can see it was a person going through a crisis yeah yeah on Hulu, on Hulu. Hulu. Mm-hmm. 
it's really sad like especially like working with people who like I haven't obviously witnessed someone like shave their head in that same manner but like working with people who are going through like bipolar episodes or like different areas of their life where their mental health is going down not to mention she grew up like she didn't even have like a real childhood no she was on that um the mickey mouse club yeah when she was a kid and like justin timberlake was on that and Mm -hmm. ryan gosling and a bunch of people were on that Mm -hmm. but so she's been constantly in this entertainment world which is all like bullshit fantasy land Yeah. yeah you can't get people to get real with you yeah right it's like you, you probably can't trust anybody. You're like, did they even want to know me? Yeah. You know, it, it, along with all the expectations that comes along with that. It's just like, no wonder celebrities go through this. Look at how we treat them. I mean, yeah. it's like they got to see their, their, them at the beach on a, a magazine. or It's like, imagine that. And it's so many women, too. Like, so many women that were like childhood stars or they've been on some show as a kid that like now you've either either heard that they've like went off the deep end or they've done some kind of crazy right. thing and or then they're people will be like they're crazy now you yeah know, it's like when miley cyrus came out with like the wrecking ball video yeah and it was like she's lost her mind but it's like maybe she just actually you know wanted people to know that she like isn't hannah montana anymore right it's like i'm surprised they didn't go crazy sooner yeah you know because it's like i i don't think i couldn't yeah it's like already as a girl you already not even as a celebrity you already feel like expectations and people notice things about you you know and yeah gotta try to please people and it's like being a celebrity on top of that and a pop artist like just total mainstream yeah 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 what do you mean by those expectations like what kind of expectations you do you feel like the world has on you as a woman oh god well (laughs) is that too hard-hitting of a question no no um you know like we were saying before um People just think that you need to act a certain way. You know, it's that's it's like you have to. I think a lot of times it's like you have to really prove your ability and you have to like really prove yourself. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's like you kind of have to, you know, if, if you're angry, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like so you kind of have to rep your represent yourself in a way that's like professional and Mm -hmm. having it together all the time and keeping the peace you know it's like or people will just like be you're you're crazy yeah and make sure that you look good and make sure you look your best and not that you know not that like guys or other people like don't feel things like that yeah but they're just you're there just tends to be more right like a girl I feel like as a woman it's in it's kind of ingrained in you as like even though it's like slowly gotten a lot better and obviously those things are starting to like go by the wayside I mean we've tried to build violet moons upon like feminine feminist ideas and just like we don't fucking care like as even though we still do care to an extent because that's innate but Mm -hmm. like we've I feel like have tried to take on the mindset of like oh well we we don't care about that yeah we definitely want to represent like 
what we feel strongly about. We want to sing about that. And we yeah. want that to be part of our... Like Hexaman. Yeah. yeah, like women empowerment, for that's sure. That's not even saying, like, fuck men. It's just, like, it's a joke. It's like, yeah. you know, it's it's like a Hexaman, hee-hee. It's... Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, well, it's true, it's, but it's also there's a, joke. a sense of humor to it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, it's kind of tongue in cheek. And it's yeah. so nice to see like like so many guys have complimented the song. Yeah. And just be like, Hexa Man. Like, yeah, you they're know, like, I love that shit. And they're not like offended by it. It's yeah. like, it's, it's just a joke. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, Even Witch Hunt is kind of a joke. The yes. name. Yeah. Yes, the new single out streaming now. Yeah. Everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Just got released on Monday. Yeah. It's Wednesday now. We're in the future, by oh. the way. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, talk a little bit about the, the new single. How did it come about? Like, where did you guys record? What did you do for it? Give us some details. Oh, I'm so excited to talk about this song. Yeah, me too. We were so pumped to release this one because we, we felt um, confident with Hexaman, but this one we felt like really demonstrated who we are as musicians more, kind of showcased our our talents a little bit more and mm-hmm. um our vocal style um and i feel like the lyrics too we like felt in our soul even from the very beginning of when we wrote it like there wasn't a bunch of doubt on like what to say where or what lyrics to put like it all just kind of yeah. flowed pretty easily all um, the lyrics we wrote like fit into it yeah perfectly yeah and we would always imagine like what it would sound like with a full band and mm-hmm. gave it a completely different vibe because we did an acoustic version of the song um months ago and we were like can't totally wait, stripped can't down. wait to see what this sounds like with a full band and it kind of yeah. gave it this like stoner rock 100 situation it's yeah very ethereal too yeah yeah yeah. For sure. Which it's like when you guys sing together, it's it sounds like you're related. You know, I think that's yeah. the greatest thing you can say about someone when <laughs> yeah, they, they harmonize. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, people ask us if we're sisters. We look nothing alike. We're only the same height. Yeah. But um but yeah, that's always a good compliment. Um another good compliment was someone had said that when we sing it kind of like when we harmonize it sounds like one voice and I just thought that was like mm-hmm. the coolest thing. It does. Yeah. It does, because I think it's like you have a little bit of like a raspier kind of a thing, and you have that off in space, like out over the ocean kind of a feel. <laughs> yeah. So when you both come together, it does sound like one thing. I like the, the craziest thing about music is that you guys didn't really know each other all that well and just no. got put in this yeah. situation, and it just made sense right away. Yeah. Yeah, that's but bizarre to me. We Even like you saying that now, it's like that's so weird to think crazy. about. And we both came in with like, cause I I've done folk music for years, and um, and Kiera did her own solo writing, and like we're still able to like, you know, um, display those different unique aspects of our own style for sure in our band. And the stripped down version, the acoustic version we did of it, like on Facebook it sounded really folky I think mm-hmm. when we sang an acoustic and people were writing things like because um, we did one of those like boosters you know to see kind of who the audience could be and what they would say and a lot of uh, there were a few comments of people saying that it had like a Celtic vibe I could see that I could honestly see that yeah yeah then I started listening cool. to some some Celtic bands and I was like 
oh, this shit's dope. Yeah. Like, yeah. they have harmonies everywhere, and it's kind of ethereal, too. They're like little fairies dancing mm-hmm. around. Yeah, yeah. And the song was really fun to record, too, because mm-hmm. we got to, we used the, uh, the Mellotron, <laughs> which was really cool to use. It's Bless. in the Beatles used it in Strawberry Fields. Yeah. Um, so that was cool. The And we made it with uh, Mike Fahey. He's awesome. The name of his studio is Starbird Sound. And he just knew exactly what to do. And we could mm-hmm. get so weird. Like He encourages all of the weirdness. And yeah, like, he let's loves just, it. He has the mindset of like, let's just try this. We try. could not like it, but let's just try yeah. this and see. Tried so many like different... Like you tried so many different synths and mm-hmm. we just found exactly what we were going for, exactly what we heard in our heads. And then Josh got to play on it too, which was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was so much fun to make. Well, here is Witch Hunt by Violet Moons.
Haiku. Okay, that was Witch Hunt. So who played on that song with you guys? Our buds, our best friends, <laughs> um, and lovers. Um, so we got to play with Josh doing electric guitar, and then um, John Eldridge played bass, and he did the Mellotron. So we were like hearing the Mellotron just playing first with like flutes. And then John had this idea to like flip the switch on the Mellotron from the low to high. Was it the octave? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like actually I was holding down the Mellotron, but he was going back with the high and low switch the whole oh, time. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So That's like cool. that wee woo wee woo. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Yeah. So it goes that in and out. And John Mike so was smart. Yeah, John's a little music wizard, but Mike was like, I've never seen that before. <laughs> like and you know, the Mellotron's from his studio that he works at. So Yeah. It's cool that we got to do something that he hadn't yeah. seen and I tricky. haven't uh met Mike yet, but I uh Everybody tells me that I would like him and that he's also from Maine. Yes. Yep. And his wife is from Maine too. Yeah. Everybody, they always ask me whenever I say I'm from Maine, they're like, do you, have you met Mike Fahey before? And I'm like, no. Yeah. Awesome. It is weird, you know, cause like Maine's small. And then Jake, who did the drums, he's from the band Illiterate Light. Have you heard of them? No. Oh, they're so good. Um, they're from out East too. Uh, I get a lot of the states confused, so we'll have to look for sure where he's from. Um, I feel like it's a Virginia, maybe. But yeah, his um, he was the one that did drums for us, and he's super cool. He plays standing up. Yeah. It's Interesting. Cool. Yeah. I've never I've never seen that before, except for Blue Man Group. He's got a lot of he's got a lot of energy, and he plays as pretty much like a duo too. Mm-hmm. So his guitarist has like a bass pedal and sings and then i think jake does some harmony and stuff too maybe even sings more also and then plays drums standing up so they're like it's cool because they're like a duo i think they have people come and play with them also but it's like cool that he's kind of in a similar mindset yeah as we are right right because we have to we do things with uh forearms and four feet so it's like we kind of have to get as much sound and yeah. depth as we can just the two of us so mm-hmm. well what's the difference live playing because you guys have played just as a duo and then I've seen you also as a full band what do you feel like the difference is for you in those different performances I mean I think what do you think I think playing with a full band is like it feels more, um, it can feel like a little bit more upbeat and like energetic because you've got the drums behind you and they like move everything along. But I feel like also it's really cool when we just get to play together because it's like very intimate mm-hmm. and we can like hear everything a little bit better and can like connect more with our harmonies and like lock in a little easier. Yeah. But it's also just like, super fun to have a bunch of people playing with you right they're just different kind of energies yeah yeah I feel like I'm way more out of my comfort zone when we play with the full band I love it but I've been a solo artist for years so it's like that's what I'm always I've it's always been me and a guitar and kind of that singer songwriter situation for mm-hmm. so many years and um but it, it's like a it's definitely different for me but I feel like 
the people that we play with make it so easy though because they Mm -hmm. you know they they follow us and they make it not so serious yeah (laughs) well it breeds in a different way once you have uh, a full band Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm yeah. And it brings it to life. It's like a fully realized idea. Right. It's yeah. Like four dimensional. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why it's always so cool too when we get to hear our songs that are usually really stripped down and they're a little bit more focused on just like the lyrics or how we're singing it versus when we get to add like other members and their instruments on the songs because we're like, holy shit. Like, we didn't even hear this in our heads. Like, yeah. all we heard is really us. Right. There will be, like, alternate melodies and... Yeah, that like, would just kind of emerge. Like, yeah, that were, like, kind of already there, but, like, s- somebody else brought them to life. Yeah, we didn't have another arm to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember one of the first times I met you, Kiera. You told me about this job that you had. You are working at a juvenile detention center. Yeah. So what was that experience like? Oh, well, I mean, it's fun, but also like you, for me, I felt like it was fun, but at the same time I was like a mama bear because like I really cared about like the kids that I worked with and even like a lot of my friends growing up didn't really have like the best situations or the best scenarios or, you know, some of them would get in trouble or whatever. So I feel like because at that time when I worked there, I was only 20 and a lot of them were like 16, 17. That's young. Yeah. In that kind of situation. Right. And you like empathize and have been in a lot of situations that they have, but at the same time, there's so many crazy things that kids out there have to go through and you're like, God, I could never imagine. And so it's like hard, but nice at the same time, if you feel like you can help. What was the, the craziest thing that happened while you worked there? What, what is something that stuck out to you that you felt like you could relate to? Um, I think maybe not the craziest thing, but something that I could relate to is like some of the kids who like grew up in um, like really non-traditional households and them you know like eventually once they've gotten older like you can see like where they've gone from there like my favorite quote from my from my favorite book is you don't always get to choose where you come from but you can choose where you go from there and I think that one thing I could relate to and like seeing them was like where they started and like certain things that they've went through even if it wasn't exactly what I have but seeing where they got to go from there in like good good ways like positive ways so I feel like that's something I could have really like them kind of coming online and wanting to make a change within themselves yeah like regardless of wherever they how they grew up or what they endured or anything like that it was like you know one girl may want to go to hair school and then now she does hair but like she endured all of this craziness before that it's like it's cool to see it's good to see gives you faith in humanity yeah oh totally and I feel like another thing was that um like when I was in high school and I was going through a rough time like I had a counselor and that man was like my saving grace and that was he was actually the reason I wanted to go into social work so then getting to work with them and just thinking of like oh I could have a hand on them like he had a hand on me I was like that's enough it was it was cool 
did you have any mentors growing up that kind of got you on the path of music? Like, do you come from a musical family or anything like that? Nobody played music in my family, actually. Um, but I, my dad, like, took guitar lessons in college, but would always go to the bars after and then wouldn't remember any of the chords the next day. And so he kind of had, he had a guitar and I would just beg to play it because I would sing, um, but I would beg to play it and he'd be like, okay, but I have to sit right next to you while you do it. And I begged for guitar lessons for like a solid year. And he, um, he got me a guitar teacher. It was like a high school kid. Um, and he taught me Mary had a little lamb and then he quit. So put the guitar away and then <laughs> Um, like continued to beg for guitar lessons and just couldn't really find anybody so like I taught myself like a few chords and like started writing songs and then I met um, this um, this man named Adam Graham and he taught me guitar because I had released like my first album before I ever had a guitar lesson and he saw me play and was like I want to show you like technique and um because he just like really believed in me and so I worked with him all through middle school and high school and eventually he taught me some mandolin um and you're he done, <laughs> you're done. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's funny because that's immediately what I thought of too um but yeah I had a few and I'm from uh I'm the well I guess the town I'm originally from it's called Corning Ohio and population's like 582 um, and then I moved to a college town when I was um, about 11, and that's when I met Adam and started writing songs. And um, so I'm from technically from Athens, I guess. It's pretty much where I grew up. But um, Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. So there was like it wasn't necessarily it wasn't a music scene. It was more of a music community. But um, we had like a I went to a songwriter circle every Tuesday. Um and it was this this other man named Bruce Dazell, and he would tune pianos. And Songwriter Circle was awesome because we every week we would do what's called a quick and dirty, and somebody would say a word like off the top of their head that night at Songwriter Circle, and we would all go away, and then we would have um, an hour to write a song using that word. Um, and we'd all come that. back the next week, and we would share like what we wrote, and then we'd do like a little co-write, but. How many people were in the circle and like what were their ages? Was it all age ranges? I was always the youngest person there. Always. Um, but yeah, it was mostly like it would range from like 30, late 30s to 70s. Wow. So, yeah. And, wow. Um, you know, all these like older people would be in there and they'd be like, I've never written songs, but like I'm more of like just a writer and all different kinds of people would come to songwriter circle and it would never be like that there was like regulars a lot of like people who would come every week and then like every now and then like someone who was just going through town would would come in to songwriter <laughs> circle and it was so cool we'd all sit in a circle and like we would all watch each other like it was like group therapy was that songwriters. an intimidating environment to be in as a, as a young musician? Or how, how did you feel going there to do it? Was it scary? No, I never felt like that. Um, because I feel more comfortable when people are listening to me. I feel like, because, you know, you have to play the crowded bars where nobody's paying attention. Yeah, like totally. it's It's just part of it. Um, but it's like. When people are listening to you, it makes me feel more comfortable. I feel like, okay, they're 
they're listening to the words I'm saying, they're, they're taking me seriously. Um, so, and it was all just like, we would all just support each other's songs, you know what I mean? But it taught me so much because we would just have to write it so fast. It's like, you j- as long as you get it out there, you have to write crap, you know? It's like, you, ha- oh, yeah. you have to write Absolutely. shit to get anything good to come out. So it would like force me and we would hold each other accountable to to come back with something, you know, and it wouldn't always be like the best song, but it would be something. It got me um, to write consistently and it helped me realize that I feel like I am more of a writer than anything else. Um, you know, as much as, a, as singing is a huge part of what I do too, um, I definitely feel like I'm a writer at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I relate to that. Um, there's this quote by Mac DeMarco. He's getting interviewed, and s- someone calls him a singer-songwriter, and he says, oh, more, yeah. more songwriter than singer. <laughs> yeah. And I felt like I've always been able to relate to that. You <laughs> yeah. know, because it, it, it's just like, it's such a, uh, I don't want to say lonesome experience necess- necessarily, but it is something where you have to be alone for. And anytime someone tells me that they're in like a, uh, they have writer's block or something like that. I tell them, try and write a bad song. Yeah. Try mm-hmm. and write a bad song. Yeah. You've told that to me a ton. <laughs> I told you that I've had writer's block. That's always what you tell me. Writer's I, block is scary. Well, it, it can be, but um, I actually just watched. Okay, so have you guys seen Dave on Hulu about Little Dicky? Yeah. No. no. It's what? so fucking good. So this show is all about Lil Dicky, and he's trying to make it. So it's like all the buildup. Um, and the episode I just watched, he goes to uh, like Rick Rubin's studio. And he's like, where's Rick Rubin at? Yada, yada, yada. And every time he starts to get impatient, the people that work there, they start to question him. Because it's like a spiritual thing with like Rick Rubin. You're supposed to do this. Uh. They, they um, make him drink this shit. And then he gets into a uh, one of those uh, float tanks. And he goes into his own mind. And he goes off into like, he, at the end of it, he meets his own ego. And his ego, like, the, the whole second season of the show is basically him being an asshole to everybody. It's hard to watch at times for that. Yeah. <laughs> we've, we've watched it together, yeah. Bill House. Yeah, he's, he's got a huge ego. He's face. got a huge ego, and he's starting to, to experience some kind of success, and it's getting out of control. Oh. But um, the whole plot of this episode is he gets into that. He has this crazy-ass trip. He meets his ego. His ego shows him uh, a song, and... Um, he starts drowning in like the, the float tank and the, the people are there like smacking him and trying to wake him up and he pukes out all this water and then he runs immediately into the studio and starts singing the song <laughs> that he had where it just like in a frenzy, but it's, it's such a good show. You oh have to watch it. I do have to watch that. Yeah. That sounds crazy. Do you listen to Father John Misty? I've do never you know done a, a deep dive on him before, but I know Fleet Foxes. I love them both. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's someone I really look up to as a writer because he's very like blunt um, and very like direct Mm -hmm. um, lyricism. It's like very like to the point. Um, Like he has a song called Holy Shit. Yeah. He talks about asking someone to punch him in the face. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, just like he sings. It's so political too, and like he actually microdoses on LSD every day of his life. So <laughs> you're I couldn't handle that. My brain would be fried. <laughs> yeah. So his music is just. How would you describe Father John Misty? It's like political. Like he goes off on these like rants during his shows, but I just love how like blunt it is and it's like it's beautiful but it's not like he thought too hard about it you know what i mean it's like it's just what it is he's like folky talking shit it's kind of like folky i think kind of yeah i feel like he kind of has like a folk voice but yeah yeah he he, he has great lyrics his production's also pretty crazy yeah but then again yeah he's got like the trippiest album art He's, yeah, he's a hodgepodge of he things. D- he does, like, these, like, um, like crazy interludes, too, or mm-hmm. it'll be, like, it'll be, like, a folk song, but then it's, like, the orchestra comes in, and then the key changes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, I, 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 I love I'll have to check him. it out. I've had a few like people that. tell me to, to check him out. I'm obsessed. You guys have any shows coming up? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got um, Spring Water on Thursday. And nice. um, <laughs> yeah. the five spot on the 20th Okay. with Friday Night Dads. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Cool. And yeah. where can people find you guys at? Like, what are all your social medias, all that good stuff? Well, we're on Facebook as Violet Moons. And Instagram, we're Violet Moons also, but with a an O and a zero for Moons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then our personals are She's Kava Keeks. Yeah. And mine's just my name, I think. And then we <laughs> technically have a TikTok, but it's, we're slacking. We need to get back at that. Yeah, I get on TikTok to send you cat videos. Oh, yeah. Same. And to watch, like, I watch, like, <laughs> I watch, like, uh, Paula Deen videos and shit, like, cooking videos. It's and the best night. I get on cat talk and, like, <laughs> cooking talk. <laughs> yeah, I, I send you guys both, like, cat videos. Sometimes the same one, sometimes different ones. <laughs> Based on your individual taste. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm having a hard day, I just go to our old messages and just look at. I just always have videos. a new one, so I'm like always entertained. <laughs> I feel it's the new. I'll because I'll, I'll I won't be on TikTok every day. It's one of those like little small joys that I watch some nights. But when I watch it, I really dive it's in. N- TikTok is nice when you don't want to commit to like a movie or even like an episode of spongebob it's like you just need some fast entertainment yeah as we all complain about our screen time (laughs) right Right. i just need a quick like (laughs) serotonin boost okay so we're gonna end it the way i want to end it though is kira how did jora come into your life what a special boy my son well i had never had a cat in my life never owned a cat my grandma was afraid of cats all growing up because I guess when in her younger days, a cat jumped on her back, which is super ironic because Aubrey's mom had a cat jump on her back too. Same thing happened. Wasn't allowed to have a cat as a kid. Yeah. So we both didn't have a cat for the same reason. Really weird. So we wanted to rebel when we got older. And yeah. Cats. No, but like <laughs> truthfully, I was living in an apartment and I heard like a cat meowing outside. It was kind of storming out, but I thought it was my neighbor upstairs' cat. So I'm like, oh, no big deal. Well, I wake up the next morning 
I still hear a cat meowing and I'm like, what in the hell? So I like go out to my back patio and there is Jora. He was so small. It's so cute. And was he, he just a kitten? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Have you seen him when he's small? No. <gasps> it's weird to see him when he was that little. Oh yeah. Because he's real fat now. <laughs> you could say that. He's, yeah, he's I am chubby. saying that. I, I feel I, I need to be direct and blunt with Jora because that's the only way he understands. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think he's he a, I think he's a Scorpio. Yeah. You think so? Yeah, I'm I almost he's positive. A cancer. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We know our cat signs. Not like exactly, but like our mother instincts yeah. think so. We Anyways, I see him. He's meowing and like I was like, "Oh my gosh. Like what should I do about this cat?" And like my ex at the time was like, "We we cannot bring him in." And all of a sudden I just opened the door. And I let him in. He came right in. He came right in, was not afraid, was like, you know. I need Jorah's level of confidence. I wonder what Jorah's prequel story is. (laughs) I I feel like he killed his whole family and and like came into your life. And he's like, this is the perfect place to hide out. No, it's actually. a new identity. Okay, but it's actually really sad because I was like, I know nothing about a cat. I was even like petting it wrong. Like I didn't know what to do. I never had a cat. Like, I don't even think I'd ever held a cat, really. So I go to my work and I immediately make posters and I'm like, missing cat. And I put them all over my apartment complex. Well, like, he's in my house. I run a dollar store, get him some little cat goodies and nobody bites. Like, nobody calls about this cat. They didn't want him. Yeah. Aww. And so like a week goes by, I still have this cat and I talk to my property manager and she's like, yeah, another tenant saw a, a tenant moving out and like leave the cat. And I was like, oh, what? Yeah, I didn't know this. Yeah, they threw him out. And I think that they probably had like another cat or something. And he was like not the favorite. So now he is my sweet boy. He is well fed. <laughs> yes, <and> he is. <laughs> That's one way of putting it. Yeah. We will see you next week. This podcast is produced to you by Taylor Miller.